Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these podcasts full time. And I do the research, the writing, everything. So, if you like, sending some money can keep it all going. If you want, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Through the 20th century, Indigenous men and women began to break down barriers that had been put up over decades by governments and organizations in Canada. From becoming senators, soldiers, members of parliament, and more, I've featured several on my podcast, and today I'm looking at the life of Jean Cuthand Goodwill. We will get to the impact that Goodwill had on Indigenous culture, but first, let's start at the beginning. Born on August 14, 1928 at Poundmaker Cree Nation in Saskatchewan, Goodwill's father was John Tatusis, the grandson of Yellow Mud Blanket, who was the brother of the legendary leader, Poundmaker. Tatusis would himself go on to become an activist after he was appointed as the chief of his band, something the Canadian government refused to recognize. Goodwill's mother would sadly pass away shortly after she was born. Raised by Harriet and Jose Cuthand on the Little Pine First Nation afterwards, it was with Harriet that Goodwill would find a role model. Goodwill would say in 1970, quote, I have two families and I am close to all members, end quote. Harriet served as a midwife and medicine woman for the area and delivered several babies on both First Nations. It was through Harriet that Goodwill would be inspired to be a healthcare worker and Jose was a refugee of the Northwest Rebellion, and he encouraged Goodwill in her studies and in the importance of education. In the foreword of a book she co-wrote about her father, John Tatusis, she would write, quote, I knew in my early years that John was my father, and did not question why, where I came from into the family scene as ours to know and for others to guess, end quote. She would say later in life in 1986, quote, The things he did weren't always popular, he was always on the backs of the governments and bureaucrats. But when you look back at some of the recommendations he made, teaching Indian languages in schools, for example, they are just beginning to implement it now. He was way ahead of his time in terms of what education should be. End quote. After attending Little Pine School, Goodwill would move to Saskatoon, where she would attend the Bedford Road Collegiate. At the school, she was the only Indigenous student and she would feel a great deal of isolation as a result. She would say later, quote, In some ways it was difficult. You become a loner. And then, when I went into nursing, I was again the only Indian person. End quote. Unfortunately, she would be forced to leave school when she developed tuberculosis. For the next three years of her life, she would be at the Prince Albert Sanatorium, where she completed her high school diploma while confined to her bed. After the experience of living through tuberculosis, she was more inspired than ever to become a nurse. Attending the Royal Family Hospital in Prince Albert, 
She graduated in 1954, and in her graduation, she became the first Indigenous registered nurse in the history of Saskatchewan and one of the first in Canadian history. Her first posting as a nurse would be at Fort Capel Indian Hospital. After her time there, she would work at a nursing station in Lorange. In Lorange, she worked as a driver and nurse's aide and was required to serve a huge area of rural Saskatchewan. Those services included delivering babies, responding to emergency, pulling fish hooks out of tourists, and inoculating children. She would often travel to help patients in an emergency through the use of a bush plane or a dog team. As for the fish hooks, she developed quite a large collection from the time she took them out of children, American tourists, and once even a dog. Years later, Goodwill would write, quote, My knowledge of Cree language and appreciation of the lifestyle was a tremendous asset, particularly when direct communication was required while performing my professional duties. End quote. During her time in LaRange, the Valley Echo, what would become the Saskatchewan Lung Association magazine years later, would call her the prettiest nurse in northern Saskatchewan. She would also be crowned the Fur Queen of the North at the 12th Annual Manitoba Trappers Festival in the Pass. In 1984, Goodwill would write about working with other nurses in Indigenous communities, saying, quote, I'm amazed how well the non-native nurses, with their high ideals, their curiosity, determination, and sense of responsibility, managed to cope with the adversity they encountered in this setting. To some extent, the scenery, terrain, serenity, and silence comforted the nurses trying to deal with the devastation that resulted from imposition of another way of life on Canada's Aboriginal people. End quote. Exhausted by her work, she would move to Bermuda to work for a year at the King Edward VII Memorial Hospital. She would say later in life, quote, After two years in an outpost where I was delivering babies and doing everything conceivable that can happen in an isolated place, I needed an escape hatch. So I worked a year as a nurse in Bermuda. End quote. She would return to Canada with a new mission, improving the conditions for the Indigenous rather than just providing health services as a Band-Aid solution. She would say later, quote, I thought I could do more for my people there than by staying on and nursing. End quote. To that end, she would become the executive director of the Indian and Métis Friendship Centre based out of Winnipeg in 1963. She then became the co-editor of the Indian News and also developed Tawau, a magazine that covered Indigenous culture. The name of the magazine comes from the Cree phrase for There is Room or Welcome. Speaking of her magazine, she would say, quote, It was a fascinating experience, but to this day, bureaucracy still puzzles me. I found out you can work with it, though, if you have to. End quote. The idea originated because there, there we felt that there was a need for uh, an Indian cultural magazine, something that is non-existent here in Canada. And uh, as we were collecting our material, which we used at the time, whatever was available within, uh, within our department at the time we used, and uh, we had to have a name, and uh, we tried several different kind of names. Uh, and there was no, as you know, there's no one uh, word you can use that would uh, could all Indian languages could understand. So we picked the word Tawal, maybe basically because uh, Dr. Spenzener, both Cree who worked in the same division, uh, a word that means welcome, or the doors open. You know, out in the prairies, when everybody, when somebody walks in your door, you say Tawal means you're welcome. And again, for uh, another reason for using this name was because we want the magazine to be geared to Indian writers, uh, to welcome Indian writers so they'll have a, a, 
an opportunity to uh, uh, to send in their material and get it printed because, as most people know, most of the material that's written about Indians in the past and even today is by non-Indian people themselves. And it's time that we have Indian writers, although we do have, we've had a few authors in recent years like George Kuvese and James Seaweed and so on. But for a magazine to be able to, be, for them to be able to uh, send in their legends and stories and and uh, works of art and uh, to write about Indian personalities who have made good and children's stories and so on. Uh, we've had a tremendous response. We had a very good response from the first issue and a greater response from the second one to a point where we have to uh, reprint another 2,500 to meet the, the demand. But hopefully that we will be able to print some material with uh, in the language of the people that contribute, like Ojibwe, Cree, or Iqua, whatever the case may be. And of course, uh, like most editors, I'm hoping that I'll be able to find someone that'll translate it for me, so I'll know that we have, you know, uh, we'll know what kind of material that we are printing. But it's open to any person of an Indian ancestry, because the magazine comes from the Department of Indian Affairs. Shouldn't stop anyone from writing to it as long as they're uh, uh, Canadian Indians or even American Indians, for that matter because I have written to two of my friends in the United States hoping that they will be contributors to send some of their material because after all, I think most Indian people feel we're all North American Indians. There's no real dividing line between us. And uh, the only thing that a magazine will keep it going is it'll depend on the people themselves. And I can't uh, overemphasize the fact they've got to send in the articles. I, I can't be supplying material all the time. There's only Jim and I, Jim McNeil and I, who's my literature consultant, working on it. The first summer, we were fortunate to have one university student helping us, doing some research and collecting articles. And this last summer, we had two of them, and they they uh, they contributed quite a bit. Uh, most of their material will be in a third issue this coming one. Um, we hope that, um, like I said, we'll probably will have to increase our circulation now because of the demand on the second one. And it, it's going. It's become very popular among uh, uh, schools for Indian students because they have such limited amount of material to study from. About when it comes down to studying Indians, I find this through my public speaking engagements to of the schools in in Ottawa. We've also had queries of whether we are going to deal with political issues or controversial articles. I don't think it's, there's no need for us to do so because there's enough Indian publications right now that can handle this sort of thing. And that, that's, that's what their, uh, one of their purposes is, is to deal with politics or, or deal with Indian matters. Not that we have anything against them, I don't have, because I think everybody is entitled to their opinion. Uh, but our magazine is dear to cultural matters and there, uh, there's a need for that and I think most people will agree. We need to be able to tell a story in our own way without having an anthropologist or some other expert to write about us. I think it's about time Indian people wrote about themselves and about their own people the way they want to tell it. On November 28, 1965, she would marry Ken Goodwill, who was from the Standing Buffalo, Dakota First Nation, and the couple soon moved to Ottawa and they would adopt two children. 
After spending a few years with the Department of Indian Affairs and Northern Development, Goodwill returned to healthcare and she wanted to support young nurses. In 1974, she would co-found the Indian and Inuit Nurses of Canada and she served as its president from 1983 to 1990. In 1978, she became a nursing consultant for the Medical Services Division of Health and Welfare Canada and also became an advisor to Lyle Black, the Assistant Deputy Minister of Aboriginal Affairs. She would then become the coordinator of the Native Women and Native Youth Program in the Secretary of State's Citizenship Branch. Explaining why she joined the program, she would state, quote, That's what my experience has been all about. I saw the way they were treated when I was nursing. If any group of women were downtrodden and discriminated against, it was Indian women. The woman's loss of Indian status if she marries a white man is just one example. End quote. In 1981, she was appointed as a special advisor to Monique Begin, the Minister of Health. And Goodwill would say, quote, She always said she wanted to do at least two major things before she left the ministry in Indian health. So I think that through talking to her and telling her what the needs are, she did accomplish two things. One was to find enough funds to set up the Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program, and the second was to set up a health career program for Native students. End quote. That same year, she was presented with the first Jean Goodwill Award, created in her honor by the Manitoba Indian Nurses Association. Goodwill would establish the Native Access Program to Nursing at the University of Saskatchewan, and after 20 years in Ottawa, she would return to Saskatchewan. She would write, quote, My return to Saskatchewan has renewed my interest and given me the opportunity to make an initial observation on health issues for people of Indian ancestry. Without a doubt, plenty of room exists for improvements on all fronts. End quote. In 1997, the Regina Leader Post would write of her, quote, During her 20-year career with the federal government, Goodwill was instrumental in developing health and social policies for Indian people. On August 25, 1997, she would pass away from cancer in Regina. A quote from an interview in 1992 in the Saskatoon Star Phoenix helps sum up the impact that she had in Canada. She would say, quote, Now Indian women are finally being organized. There are a lot of very articulate women across the country now, quite capable of confronting government officials or whatever and asking for what they need themselves. Our dark ages are over. End quote. Her nephew Doug would say of her, quote, Her life had a purpose and she made the most of it. End quote. She's been honored extensively in Canada. In 1986, she was given an honorary doctorate of law from the Queen's University. In 1991, she was awarded the Order of Canada. In 1994, she was awarded the National Aboriginal Achievement Award. And for that award, she was one of the first 12 recipients and the award was presented to her by Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. In 2000, after her death, she was awarded the Ron Draper Health Promotion Award. And in 2020, the CCGS Jean Goodwill, an icebreaker in the Canadian Coast Guard fleet, was named in her honour. Hello everyone, today we are proud to welcome the Canadian Coast Guard ship Jean Goodwill to our growing fleet. As the second of three medium interim icebreakers delivered under Canada's national shipbuilding strategy, the CCGS Jean Goodwill will join the CCGS Captain Molly Cool to support critical icebreaking operations and keep our marine commercial routes across Canada open for business. Jean Goodwill was a Cree nurse from the Little Pine Nation in Saskatchewan. She founded the Aboriginal Nurses Association of Canada, 
was a pioneer of public health services for Indigenous peoples and an officer of the Order of Canada. The Coast Guard is proud to honour this inspiring woman. Canada's national shipbuilding strategy is reinforcing our marine industry and creating good jobs across the country. The hard work done on the three medium interim icebreakers here at Chantier DV, close to Quebec City, is a result of hard years of work by almost 300 workers. Since 2019, our government has announced investments of nearly $18 billion under the national shipbuilding strategy to renew and maintain our Coast Guard fleet. This will continue to employ tradespeople, contractors and Canadian suppliers and strengthen our marine industries and trade routes from coast to coast to coast. Congratulations to all of Chantier Davies employees for bringing this ship into service. Bearing a name from the prairies, conversion work completed in Quebec and destined for Nova Scotia, this vessel is truly a celebration of our vast country and the diverse peoples that call it home. On behalf of the Government of Canada, I want to wish everyone on board, now and in the future, safe passage. Over the course of her life, Goodwill would write four books, including the aforementioned biography of her father. And I will finish this episode with a quote from her niece Lorraine, who said, quote, She was a kind and gentle woman who, along with her husband, would take children in as their own with education as their theme. They were very happy to see young people graduate, and they were very supportive of our culture. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden. Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurieanne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, The Regina Leader Post, CBC, Wikipedia, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, The Ottawa Journal, The First 50 Years, A Matter of Life and Breath, University of Saskatchewan, historicalfiction.ca, and Nursing Canada's Indigenous Peoples. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.